If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you'd open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 7, and we'll read the chapter in its entirety. It's Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For I look out the window of my house. I've looked out through my lattice. And I've seen among the simple, I've perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him with a bold face. She says to him, I, have, I had to offer sacrifices today. I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has took a bag of money with him, and at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him. With with her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as the stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Please be seated. Over the last month, we've continued to walk through the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 5 and 6, Solomon gave strong warnings against the adulterous woman. In chapter 5, he warned us how the adulterous words are sweet and inviting, but they will quickly lead to bitterness and to death. He warns us to recognize the adulterous woman and stay far away from her. Don't even go near her house. Don't even cross her path. As Paul put it to the church in Corinth, flee from sexual immorality. And finally, he urges his son to enjoy sexual intimacy in the way that God designed it to be, between one man and one woman within the lifelong bond of marriage. Treasure that gift. Protect it and guard it. In chapter 6, Solomon warns his son again against adultery. Solomon once again highlights the value of wisdom, saying, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. 
bind them to your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will teach you. We looked at the slippery slope that folly led, that folly leads, that, that idea of one thing leads to the another. And the idea of before you know it, this happened. Folly wants us to push our boundaries. It wants us to start asking questions like, how far can I go before I sin? Folly wants us to dip our toes into sin, to get comfortable with it, to slowly take that next step that leads to the next step and the next. Folly wants us to find ourselves so far into sin that we look up one day and say, how did we get here? Solomon compared adultery with a fire or burning coal, saying, Can a man carry a fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can he walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Finally, Solomon showed a warning of the price to be paid for adultery. Adultery destroys marriages. It destroys the lives of our children. It destroys those that didn't commit the sin. And it damages the lives of others just for a bit of momentary pleasure. In our text today, we'll see Solomon's strongest warning yet against adultery. We'll see the familiar call to wisdom, the lengths that the adulteress will go to to ensnare her target, and we'll see the price that one pays for their folly. So as we, as we look at chapter 7 here, Solomon's strongest plea starts with, My son, keep your words... Keep my words and treasure my commandments. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as an apple of your eye. Bind them to your fingers. Write them on, a tab on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight an intimate friend so that you keep from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Solomon goes beyond telling his son to listen to wisdom. He says, remember it. He tells them to keep his words, treasure them up, bind them to his fingers, write them on their hearts. He tells his son that knowing these things is not enough. Being able to recite the commandments is not enough. He actually has to apply those words, and he has to keep those commandments. He urges his son to build a close and intimate relationship with wisdom to keep him from folly. Build such a close relationship with wisdom that there's no room for folly to enter. Turn with me to Psalm 119. We'll read verses 1 through 16. The psalmist describes this relationship with wisdom. says, blessed are those who are, whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. Solomon urges his son to go beyond knowing his commandments, beyond being able to recite them. He calls him to wisdom and to put that knowledge into action. Knowing the right thing to do is very different from actually doing the right thing. No one gets points when they sin because they know that they sinned. No one gets points because they look at their sin and say, well, I should have done something different. James sums this up perfectly in the New Testament. In James chapter 1, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Solomon goes in, continues on in verse 6 of his text and begins to tell a story. He says, For the window of my house I have looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple. I have perceived among the use a man, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening at the time of night and darkness. Solomon sets a, a scene for this story, saying, I, I, I looked out my window, and I see this man, this young man, walking down the street. Solomon knows that his path is going to go by this adulterous woman's house. Given the time of darkness, you can assume that it's a time when nothing good will happen. He continues in the story saying, And behold, a woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, in every corner she lies in wait. So this young man walking alone at night down the street comes across a woman dressed like a prostitute. Now, if he had listened to Solomon's wisdom, he would know to run from that situation, to flee from it. Don't go near her. Don't go near her house. The story could have ended right there if he had listened to wisdom. He would have seen the risk and gotten himself out of it. But that's not what happens in this story. Solomon goes on in verse 13 of our text to show us the work of folly. 
She seizes him and kisses him. With a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and at at the full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. We see the seductive nature of folly here. We see the tactics that are used by folly. She begins with this unprovoked kiss, and then she moves on to talk about the fact that she'd made sacrifices that day. Now, commentators differ on what that actually means. I believe that it's talking about the free will offerings or the the offerings of fellowship described in Leviticus 7. So that when meat was offered in this fellowship offering, a portion went to the priest, the rest came back to the person that sacrificed it, and all of that food had to be eaten that night or be destroyed in the fire by the next morning. So she offers this man a lavish meal with fine wine and meats and breads. She's going after the old saying, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, which is very true. So she lays out this lavish feast. She says, it has to be gone by morning. Tonight's the night. Come in. She begins to talk about the lavish preparations that she's made, that, he, that she went out looking for him in particular when probably any man would have done it. It's not her husband. It's not some stranger, but you're the one man that I was looking for. She lays out this feast and now a luxurious couch for him to lay on. She's perfumed her bed. She intends to make love all night long with him. She says, my husband's gone. He's on a business trip. He's not going to return tonight. There's no way that anyone would catch him. There's no one that, way that anyone would know. And there's no one that could bring a charge against him. And she seduces this young man, and he falters. Solomon shares the end of the story saying all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare he does not know that it will cost him his life this young man without wisdom follows folly he goes like an ox to the slaughter he goes without complaint as happy as can be he goes like a stag that's shot with an arrow in the liver. He actually runs towards the inner, uh, to the injury. He lives his last moments in pain, in pain. He goes like a bird rushes into a snare, and he's trapped before he knows his end. Solomon ends this lesson with a renewed plea for his son to hold on to wisdom. He says, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her heart, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. There's a reason that Solomon tells his son to run away. 
There's a reason that he doesn't say just fight temptation. You can be strong enough. You can do this. He says, no, flee from sexual immorality. Paul says to flee from sexual immorality because the price is too high. It's too great. We looked at statistics last week, and if you'll bear with me, I'll go through them again. 22% of married men have admitted to having at least one affair. Women, that's 14%. 36% of men and women have affairs with coworkers. 10% of affairs start online, and of that 10%, 40% will meet up in person. 40% of pastors have had an extramarital affair since beginning their ministries. These numbers should sadden us, but I don't think they should surprise us. Because wisdom says to run, to flee, to get away from sexual immorality. But folly wants you to ask questions. It's the same temptation that the serpent used in the garden, saying, did God really say you can't do this? Folly tells us that it's not sin unless you cross a certain line. That you can go this far, and as long as you don't cross that line, it's not sin. But folly will continue to move that line. You'll get comfortable at the line, and folly will say, well, you can, go, you can actually go this far, and it's not sin. And nowhere is this more true than when it comes to pornography in the U.S., Short of abortion, I can't think of anything that de devalues a human life, devalues image bearers of God more than pornography. It reduces human life to a sexual object. We know that there's abuse uh, rampant in that industry. It destroys lives and marriages. Yet it's one of the largest ind industries in the U.S., $13 billion a year in the U.S. alone. 28,000 people are watching porn every second. That's not minute, not hour, every second. One in five internet searches are for porn. I'm not good at math, but that's about 20% of all internet traffic. Wisdom says to run and flee and get away from it. Don't go near it. Don't cross its path. Don't ask how far is too far. And folly says, it's not a big deal. No one will know. It's not like I'm really cheating on my wife or my husband. Everyone does it. I'm not hurting anyone. And I'm going to tell you, folly is winning in our churches when it comes to porn. One in five youth pastors admit to viewing porn on a regular basis. One in seven senior pastors admit the same. 64% of Christian men view porn on a regular basis. 15% of Christian women. Viewing pornography makes you, the, the, the staggering number here, 300%, 300 times more likely to commit a physical extramarital affair. And the saddest, saddest part, the average age that a person will view porn for the first time is 11 years old. 11. 
Folly lies to us. Folly says that porn isn't a big deal, doesn't hurt people, it's, it's not like you're cheating. But let me make this abundantly clear. Watching porn is adultery. It is, and it's not me saying that. We can go look at what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than the whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. Folly says it's not a big deal. Jesus says to pluck out your own eye, to cut off your own hand. Solomon says to run from it. Paul says to flee from sexual immorality. And why? Paul gives us the reason in his letter in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit of our God. As believers, we have been washed, we've been justified, we're continuing in our sanctification all because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. Our lives should reflect that. How we raise our children should reflect that. How we work should reflect that. Our marriages should reflect that. In 1 Timothy 4, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you to walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but for holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregard not man, disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anything, for anyone to write for you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to lives, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. As we continue through the book of Proverbs, we need a reminder. We've spent 
seven chapters so far. We have two more to go before we even taste the first proverb. We just have this continual call to wisdom, the reminder of what folly does. We'll see that how we live our lives matters. Our sexual purity matters. Our faithfulness in our marriages matter. I'll close with this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, you may not like hearing that. But there's a reason for it. And it has nothing to do with us as husbands being in charge or being the head of anything. It has to do with this is how Christ said we should live our lives. And in all honesty, I think husbands get the harder job here. Because it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's an impossible bar for husbands to hit, to love Christ like he loves the church. But that's what husbands, that's what you're called to do. So I'd ask you, does does your marriage actually image Christ in the church? When it comes to sexual purity and sexual immorality, are you on the path of wisdom or the path of folly? Are you the type of person that sees how close they can get to a fire? Are you the person that sees a fire and runs from it? I had the distinct privilege yesterday to honor my grandfather's life and put his body to rest. We heard stories from his work life, from his church life, from his family life. He was a man that loved his wife. 68 years they were married. 68 years. And I'll tell you, within the last few months of his life, it was very sweet to see, not something a grandson should see, but you would go into their room at a nursing home and they'd just be making out. That's 68 years of marriage. I'm honored to say that my grandfather His marriage reflected Christ in the church. There was no one more important to him than my grandmother. How we live our lives matters. It leaves an impact that will live longer than us. How our marriages look matters. How we raise our children matters. So we're going to you're going to hear this message a lot more in Proverbs, but hold on to wisdom. 
Clothe yourself in it. Cover yourself in it. Make such a relationship with wisdom that there's no room for falling. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you Your word says that wisdom comes from your words. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that you offer it freely to your people. So we ask you to purge us of folly, to clothe us in wisdom. Let us live lives that glorify your name, not just on Sunday, not just when someone's looking, but in the in the deepest depths of our thoughts and our wants and our desires, let them glorify you, Lord. I ask that you continue to bless this time of worship. Let it bring glory and honor to your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen.